guys, Princess here, and welcome to another episode of, I was about to say Mob Wives, another episode of Buy Pumpkin. Um, as you know, I wasn't around last week. I just wasn't feeling well. Um, I had a cold that started off pretty, it was fine. And then I took some cold medicine, I felt better. And then I was sicker than I thought I was. I had to go to the doctor and they were just like, it's a fucking cold. I got a COVID test and everything. So, and my voice went out and I was just like, I cannot do another, I can't do a podcast this week. So I, my apologies, but I'm back. I don't always come when you call, but I'm always on time. Uh, and here I am. So what is going on this week? This week, so just like a couple of hours ago, a my work told me someone tested positive for COVID and I have to go get a test for it. Fun. Love it. I doubt I'm, I have to go at, I need to go in a couple of hours. So that's why I'm recording now. But I, um, I doubt it's going to be positive because I just had a COVID test last week when I was feeling shitty and coughing a lot. But wouldn't it just be fitting for me to test negative when I'm actually sick? And now when I actually feel better, test positive. Wouldn't that be great? I'm actually thinking of just telling everyone I tested positive, like regardless of what it says, telling everyone I tested positive and just making sure no one talks to me for two weeks. Just been like, oh, I got COVID. I can't. I don't. I don't know. I'll take the test. We'll see. Um, what else is going on? Oh, oh, I'm catching up on Real Housewives of Potomac. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got a controversial opinion, guys. I think mamas are on the table. When we film a reality TV show, and our mother is on the show, she's a part of a story, a significant part of storylines. She gets a Chiron, and she's in multiple episodes. She's on the table. We can talk about her. I'm sorry. If your kids are on the show, and they out here, like, uh, the, because you guys know I've still been on my uh, Real Housewives of New Jersey journey. The Manzo kids are on the show. They have talking heads. They have storylines. They are on screen talking cash money shit about other about other uh, fucking castmates, fair game. They're fair game. And when it comes to Mia's mama, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, um, Mia on Real Housewives of Potomac, uh, she was in foster care growing up. Her parents were drug addicts. Her mother, she reconnected with her mother when she was older, and they're trying to reestablish their relationship. But this is, Mia has brought this to the forefront and has been talking about it for episode after episode. Now, Candace's mama, Dorothy, messy ass, has been on the show for years. Basically just talking shit about her daughter and her and her son-in-law. Fine. But at Candace's um, video shoot, Dorothy was out there being messy, talking shit, and Mia was talking with her and was getting all the details and being messy. And Candace is upset about that. So when Mia and them were talking, she said something like, your mama, which... So Candace says she doesn't know. She didn't know. She, like, those scenes were not filmed with her about Mia's mom. So she didn't know until the show came out. Which I believe, sure. I also don't think a your mama is, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe I'm tacky. Maybe I'm low rent. But where, where I grow, people would say your mama. 
and it'll be fine. It wasn't they. It wasn't like a specific attack. Like it was just how they said. You know how um, heavenly on married to medicine is always. Anytime something happens, like your mama. That's just. That's it. If somebody calls you tacky, you say your mama's tacky. Then, I I personally don't take great offense to that. Okay, I just don't. It's not like it's it's like a your mama joke is not really about your mama. You know what I mean? But fine. But even if Candace knew, I think mamas are on the table. I do not believe your mama can get on this fucking screen and participate in this show and then we can't talk about her. If your mama, if you want your mama to be in a mama's place, then you need to get her off the fucking screen. If she shows up to one event every now and again and she gets a little Chiron and that's it and we move on, fine. But if she's an active part of the show, she's on the show talking shit, she 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 can catch it too. I've always felt this way. It's you know, one of the reasons I do not like Candy from Real Housewives of Atlanta is her mama. She let her mama get on this show and do all kinds of wild shit. Then anytime somebody says something to her mom, she start crying and wanting to fight people. You know, uh, Mama Joyce all up on the fucking screen accusing your husband of all kinds of wild shit. Listen, I don't think Todd is the cleanest person in the world. I mean, like, I don't mean like clean, literally. I mean, like, in terms of his deeds, whether he's shady or not. I don't think he deserved that shit that Mama Joyce did to him. At the very least, I think Candy should have put a stop to it. But according to her, she can't control her mama. Okay, then your mama can't be on the show. See, here's the thing about Candy. As much as I dislike Candy, I am a Candy. That's why I don't like her. Because I don't have no business on a reality TV show either. Okay? So, the thing about Candy is I understand where she's coming from. But that's why your mama can't be on the show. And if your mama's on the show and she's doing all the shit, anybody can say anything they want to about your mama. Guys, one, I would never do a reality TV show. I'm boring. But if I did, do you think I would bring my mama on that show? Absolutely not. Not unless I want to be embarrassed. I have no control of what she says. My mom can be very funny. She can also be very mm, problematic, to say the least. And I don't know what new slur she's going to come up with on fucking TV. I don't know what the fuck she's going to say. I don't have no control over that. So she can't come on there. Because I, too, would be upset if you was talking about my mama. Like, okay, so the thing about me is that she's very open about her relationship with her mother and the things her mothers have done wrong, blah, blah, blah. I get that. Me, too. I'm, I don't have a problem talking about that. Neither is my mother. But I, the reason we wouldn't be on a reality TV show is because then when we go to the to the, the dinner to have a fight and you say something about my mama, I'm going to punch you in your fucking mouth. Okay? See? That's why she can't be on the show. Because it's not fair. Mamas are on the table if they're on the show. And also, if I'm mad at you, I can say anything I want to you. If we're in a fight, I don't have to be civil to you. Maybe that makes me low rent because that's what everybody says about Potomac. They're so low rent. They're throwing salad. They're doing this. Whatever. Fine. I'm fucking low rent. You knew that about me. I'm certainly not high rent. Shit. I love low rent. That's all I'm looking for in life. So, like, I understand where where Mia's coming from. Also, Mia has no problem getting on Twitter talking all this shit about Ascala. Ascala, his name is Ascala, right? Ascala's mama, right? Like, she's like, oh, well, you live with your mama and this and this and this. Bruh, if you were bringing on a mother who says has failed you, has been a drug addict all your life, 
you who you couldn't even see for like 20 fucking years and you still don't think she's doing the right thing by you, you don't be need to call out nobody's mama because the first thing they're going to do is be like, and what about your mama? That's what I would say. When a scholar tweeted back like, no, my mother lives with me and she's doing it to help the grandchildren. This is what families do. You wouldn't know anything about that. I felt like that was perfectly fucking fair. Whatever you bring on the show, you bring your man on the show, we can talk about your man. If your kids are just in, like, kid scenes, meaning you're at home and stuff, fine. We're not going to talk about your kids. But if your kids are doing talking heads where they talking shit, Brielle Bierman, well, guess what? It's on. I can say anything I want to about Brielle now. Because you let her get on the show, and you let her tweet, and you let her be involved in the show, and now she in the show, and I can say whatever she fucking wants to. Whatever I want to about her. That's, I, I, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but that's just how I feel. If you bring the people on the show and they become a part of the show, I can say whatever I want to. And if that makes you upset, then don't let them be on the show. Put your mama back in a mama's place, which is off the screen. Okay? And this is why I'm not on the show. Because I personally, as of as in theory, like nobody should be touching, hitting anybody. I don't think that's a good look. We all grown. This is We're too old for this type of shit. Definitely, and if you and if you put your hands on somebody, you go to jail. Well, then psh, that's what you get. You should have put your hands on those people. That said, if we went to a party and on a reality TV show, and somebody came out of their mouth crazy about my fucking mother, I'd be on them like white on fucking rice, and that's it. That's it. I don't care. I do not give a fuck. I'm like. Potomac is my favorite uh, franchise, and I'm so annoyed. You know, they have Nicki Minaj uh, on the reunion. I just, let's, let's put aside Nicki Minaj herself, okay? Let's put aside her issue. The, she don't need to be on nobody's show, but let's put aside her specifically. I don't want celebrities on reality uh, TV reunions. I don't want that. I think that's stupid. I think the point of the reunion is for us to come to this reunion and hash out the stuff. Now that we all saw it, now that we all saw the cut, now that we all saw the shit you were saying when I wasn't there, let's let's get to it. And I think celebrity takes a part away from that. I don't think celebrities are usually good hosts, to be honest. And I don't think they're going to ask the real questions. I really don't. I don't think and I don't think the castmates are going to react to them in a, an authentic way. They're going to be blinded by the fact that it's a celebrity. Not that Nikki's hosting reunion or anything like that. Um, she's obviously there for stunt casting or whatever. To come out and ask like five questions and go away. Fine. But I think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's going to play well. I don't get it. And I really don't want to see her on the fucking Potomac reunion. And I really don't want this to become a trend of celebrities showing up to the reunion. I do not want this. This is not, this is unnecessary. Like, as a rule, Housewives is, it needs to... It's in, a, it's in a phase where it needs to figure out what it wants to do. Salt Lake City is doing fine. Mostly because we have a felon on there. <laughs> I guess she's not a felon yet, but she will be. Um, Beverly Hills is having the best um, season it's had in a while. Because of Erica Jane. I mean, I actually don't feel any kind of way about Erica Jane talking about that the... They're trying to give us a four-part reunion. Why? That I've never had, there's never been a reunion that needed more than two parts. Name one. They needed more than fucking two parts. There hasn't been one. But, you know, like, the ratings are up because of Erica Jane. And I don't have a problem with her saying that. 
the reason that it's gross is because you got everything to say about that, but you don't have anything to say about the fact that you have been profiting from, from the mistreatment of these victims, the stealing from these victims. You walking around here with all this shit and telling us how much it costs and what you do. And it came from these victims. Do I think Erica Jane was, was, uh, at the office, um, working on the Ponzi scheme? No, I don't think so. And she wasn't shooting in the gym with him. <laughs> Why the fuck did I say that? But I believe that she knew that there was a misappropriation of funds and that he was moving money around funny and that things were fucked up. And I think that it, that she knew way before she told us she, way before she told us she knew. She knew before then. I just don't think that she was like in the office actually being like, don't give them their money, Tom. I don't think that's what happened. But it kind of doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if she knew or not. What matters is that she received funds that were not supposed to be for her, that she that she had no reason to believe they would be for her. And now you need to give them back. So how do you give them back? You need to sell the shit so you can give it back. That's It kind of doesn't matter if she knew or not. I think she did, though. Sooner than she wants us to believe. I don't know, dude. I just, Erica Jane. <laughs> but anyway, like Beverly Hills is getting, but once Erica Jane is no longer on the show and who knows if she goes back for next season, she needs the money. She should, but it's quite possible. She doesn't want to do it. And Real Housewives of Atlanta is going, is going to be going through a growth phase, um, a rebuilding season next year because there's no Portia. There's no, um, I don't even know. Kenya might not end up back. They fuck around Kenya a lot. The word in the street is behind the scenes, they dick around with Kenya's money. And they do shit to Kenya that they don't do to other people because they don't like her. But she is necessary to the show. I don't like her either. But respect what she brings to the fucking show. So we don't have Cynthia, which is fine. But Cynthia really, you do need somebody to like stand next to everyone and go, child. Oh, child. 50 cents. You need somebody to just kind of. <laughs> and so what we're going to have left and Portia, the story really revolved on Portia. People act like Portia did not come back because Portia did not want to talk about Simon. That's not true. Portia. I think Portia's spinoff is still going. She'll be doing nothing but talking about Simon. That is not fucking true. My understanding is it is about money. She wanted way more money and they, and basically they were dicking around with it and she, she called their bluff and said, no, I'm not coming back. Um, I really like it's people who think Portia is not coming back because of Simon really give Portia too much credit. Portia is not smart enough to be ashamed. The reason I really was looking forward to this season, the next season was that Portia much like a Teresa, is very much like, what? Huh? Like, <laughs> and I am a Porsche apologist. It's because she's cute and she makes me laugh a lot. That's the only reason. But I don't think she's smart enough to be ashamed. I don't think it's like that. I don't think she's like, well, they're going to get... No, 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 And Fallon wasn't going to be on the show, which I don't know why. They never had a contract with Fallon, apparently, idiots. But Fallon wasn't going to be on the show. So Porsche really could have, like, spun it the way she wanted to spin it. And I think they, I think it went over because of fucking money. Because Portia knew she was going to be the center and they didn't want to pay her. They should have fucking paid her. 
So now we got Candy. We got some new people. Candy is boring, guys. It's fine. We, we, you and I would be boring too. But Candy's fucking boring. And the only time she's not boring is when her mama's on screen. Then I hate her. So like, just let Mama Joy stay at home. They're talking about bringing Nene back. I don't think Nene's coming back, guys. They're talking about, I'm talking about fans talking about bringing Nene back, not network shit. I don't think Nene's coming back. I don't think you get to accuse Andy of being a drug addict and a racist. And don't get me wrong, there were some racist undertones in some of the shit he was doing, but I just don't think you can do this and get back on the show, regardless of whether Greg died or not. New York didn't even have a reunion. Uh, Dallas is done for now. I think they're trying to get Miami back. But if Larsa Pippen's on it and she's not being lost, here's the thing about Larsa Pippen. I am not one of those people that's like, where are your children? Why aren't you home with your children? Like, Larsa Pippen is a rich woman. Uh, she can do what the fuck she wants. She has nannies. I mean, she could be out doing whatever. I just find it so embarrassing to be like 14 and have to call your mom at the TikTok hype house <laughs> to sign your permission slip. And you're just like, are you going to come home? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I find it... I find her embarrassing, not to say, not to be like, not to be like, oh, you're too old to be doing this or you're a mom and you cannot have fun or anything like that's not how I feel. I just find her to be like desperate and kind of thirsty in a certain way. And I'm like, you don't have to be like this. Like this is, you could have been a whole different way. What is this about? And I still want to know why she was answering Kanye West's phone calls in the middle of the night. Why? Because you wanted to be friends with Kim so bad? You wanted to be on the inner circle so bad? I would never. I would never answer. And I'd be like, Kanye, my phone is on Do Not Disturb after 11 p.m. You can't call me in the middle of the night. I would text him in the morning and be like, what's up, man? I was asleep. That's what I would do. I, would ne- I wouldn't have answered the first phone call from him. What's he calling me for? North's in the hospital? What you calling me for? Like, <laughs> anyway. So they're going to go back. They're trying to pull back Miami. I just feel like the state of housewives is just, I don't know. I don't think it's in a great place. And I wouldn't mind if they took a year off of Real Housewives of Atlanta to get to regroup and come back. Um, I, one thing about Atlanta is this. With Portia not there, and they are giving Kenya a bunch of drama over Dancing with the Stars, even though they said they could, she could, and now it's like, maybe Kenya is not going to end up back. That frees up some fucking money. Get me some women. Like, some new women. Not one... Give me, like, three or four new women. Give me some new people to not like. Give me that. Real Housewives of Atlanta is a comedy, just like Real Housewives of New York. But Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is not a comedy. And it never has really been one, to me. Um, It's been more like a soap opera. And the, like every every um, every franchise gives you a different feel, but I think they're all a little bit in trouble right now. And I'd be, I really hope that their that their answer to this trouble is not like let's get celebrities to come to the reunion, let's get Miley Cyrus to come to Salt Lake City. <laughs> like, don't do that, don't do that. You know what? They should have. No, I was gonna tell them to do Real Housewives of Nashville because that, that would probably be a very good show, but it's probably gonna be very racist. I can't believe they went to Dallas instead of Houston. They could have gone to Houston and got a half black cast and 
Who knows what would have happened? I mean, what the fuck am I talking about? I'm sorry, guys. I do this every fucking episode. I'm sorry. <sighs> so, <laughs> we're on our mob wife's journey, but what happened is a couple of weeks ago, I went to the library. My kids hadn't been in the library since March of 2020. I renewed my card. I renewed theirs. And I promptly downloaded Mob Daughter <laughs> and started listening to the audiobook. And bitch, it was good. Like, let me define good. <laughs> let me define good real quick. It was good in that um, answered a lot of questions I had. Questions I've had for years. I don't know why I'm just now listening to Mob Daughter. A lot of questions I had. I was very interested in the stuff. I text Liz some stuff and I got the exclamation reaction on iMessage. And let me just tell you, she doesn't give those out freely, okay? I was very excited about that. Then, so when I say it's good, I was I enjoyed it. The audio book itself is not good. First of all, it's written poorly, okay? And I don't know, it feels like, it feels like it was written in batches, because you will go through a chapter and then you'll start the next chapter and they'll tell you something they just told you in the previous chapter. And you're like, okay, why is this not flowing? That, like at one point, uh, Gerard, that's Karen's brother, they're living in a very fancy place. And he go, he was bored one day, he goes out to play with this kid and the kid says that he's not allowed to play with kids of gangsters. Of gangsters, excuse me, that's how she says it, gangsters. Which, you know, her mom gets mad, goes outside and, and talks to the to the kid's mom and she repeats it. She's basically like, this is when Samuels was getting really famous. This is after Paul Castellano's uh, assassination, assassination, murder, and Gotti rises to fame and rises to the, be the boss. Uh... So, so Sammy's getting all this press and the mom's like, no, we don't want him to play with your kind of people or whatever, you know? And then the next three lines of the book are like, my mom could see what she was saying. She was implying that, that she didn't want her kid to play. With I was like, implying, she just fucking said it. Who read, who edited this? Like this stuff like that. And in terms of the audiobook itself, like the reading, the the production of that. Karen should have never read this book, guys. Karen's bad at reading. Just putting that out there. And I think, and I'm not saying like, I've been a lifelong reader. I've been reading since I was about three-ish years old. And I started reading because my mom's a big reader. And she got lazy and would not read me books anymore. And was just like, I don't have time to this. Time to do this. I'm reading this gossip magazine over here. I don't have time to read that one fish, two fish bullshit. You got to figure it out. Look at those pictures. Check out the words. And that is how I started reading pretty early. And my mom, like, used to get me those, um, God, you those read-along books where it go, do 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 and meant for you to turn the page. I, I used to have those little books on tape. I would listen to that. I started reading later because my mom's fucking lazy, Okay. And so I've been reading a long fucking time and I will self-identify as a reader, as a, I don't think I could go and do an audiobook. Listen to the way I talk on this podcast. I mispronounce things. I cough into the mic. 
So I go off on random tangents, and I understand when you're doing an audiobook, you're actually reading the book. So, I mean, I can't really go off on a tangent, but still, I would not sign up to read an audiobook because I am not a voice actor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like, even though I do a podcast where every week I have to get on here and talk, it is not the same as being a voice actor for an audiobook. So when I say that Karen can't read, it's not that I don't think Karen can read, although based on her academics, it's quite possible she didn't spend a lot of time reading, like it's possible, but it makes her, her reading this audiobooks makes it sound like she can't read. She's stumbling over words. It sounds like word. she's not pausing in the right place on sentences. Um, it's not as bad as when I did Bobby Brown's book, but it's similar, okay? Also, it's written, so it's ghost written, obviously. Not ghost, we know who it is, but it, it was another, a writer wrote it for her. The way it's written is not the way Karen talks. I know how Karen talks. I've watched her on TV for a long time. The words are kind of formal, and it is Karen's voice. Like, Karen's voice, the way she she says picture instead of picture, um, the way she pronounces things, her, you know, all that, it's in there. And that's great because cause I know who the fuck Karen is, so I want to hear Karen's voice. I get that. But she's reading a... It almost sounds, it's almost, some of the shit almost reads like a police report. And I'm like, that's not how Karen would have said that. So it's hard. So, and that's not the solution to put to the solution. Like some, you might be thinking I'm saying the solution is that Karen should have written the book. No, she shouldn't have. She doesn't know how to write a book. She's not a writer. That's fine. But somebody else should have read the audiobook. Okay. And the other thing, the audiobook production. So you may notice sometimes that I have to do pickups on this. I call them pickups. I don't know where I got that from. Did they say that in the movies or something like that? When they're making movies, you have to do a pickup, like where you have to go back and re-record something. So I lately, I've been trying to go back and, and try to listen to my podcast before I send them out. Just to be helpful about me being clear about what I want to say. Um, sometimes... I have to take things out because I feel like I've talked too much about somebody else's business, like my husband's or like family stuff. And I'll be like, I don't want to say that. I don't want to be out here saying that. Or sometimes I will say something offhandedly that while I like might think I don't want to like throw it out really casual like that. And I'm like, it's better off for me not to be saying that. A lot of times the way it goes is I'm really saying to myself, do I want to get an email from someone with this is the subject line? Like, is that a thing I would like to get? And usually the answer is no. So, like, I'll sometimes take things out. So mostly what I try to do is I try to record the bonus episode on Wednesdays. Listen to it sometime Wednesday evening or so or Thursday morning and cut out anything I want to cut out or add or clarify and then put it up. For the main episode, I try to record on Fridays, listen to it Friday night or Saturday morning and before I, like, uh, schedule it. And then there's other times where I don't need to cut something out. I need to re-record something. Like I heard myself talking about something and I either contradicted myself or I didn't finish a thought, which happens, right? Cause I'm off I'm like squirrel and off somewhere else. But I'm, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. So then I'll have to go back and Delete that part out and re-record it in the same time, too, because I don't want to dick around with the rest of the recording. 
And that's what I call a pickup. I'll be like, I got to go do a pickup for this. Now, the thing is, though, it's a little hard to do pickups because you need to make sure that it sounds the same. Like, so right now I'm recording in my husband's man cave. Yeah. We don't need to name things after genders. But um, I'm recording here. So if I were to record the original, I'd want to go back and record it in that space. I'd also want to match my, like, how loud I am or match the voice. Like, I don't want it to, to feel like a, a, a blunt cut in the, in the audio. I want it to feel like it still flows. I, I'm, sometimes I'm better at doing that than not. There are times when I, when I listen to it, I was like, oh, I can see, I can hear where I cut it. But, um, it happens. But I'm a shitty independent podcaster, right? So if you get blunt cuts or things sound differently or the volume's different, no one's like, oh my God, that fucking princess, she's such a bitch, blah, 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 blah. Can't believe that uh, this is low quality, because nobody expects high quality from me. I've trained you to expect, expect low quality from me. So then when you get high quality, sometimes you're like, oh, but most of the time you're like, yeah, it's low quality. But that's not what happened with this audiobook. She obviously had to record pickups and her tone was different. The sound was different. She was lower or higher. And I was like, who? I don't know a lot about production of audiobooks. I'm not even going to pretend like I do. But from a consumer point of view, this was produced badly. So those are my complaints. That said, I thought the book cover got some interesting stuff. And let's, I'm just going to talk about a little bit about all the interesting things that we, all right. So first of all, I covered that Karen shouldn't have read this fucking book. So the book starts off with a flashback, a flash forward, I guess, right? A flash forward because she, her mother, her nephew, Nicholas and her daughter, Karina are going to visit Sammy in a Colorado prison. It she calls it Amax, I think, and it's like it's supposed to be like a supermax for the like the West. And you know, at this point, he's been in solitary. He was in solitary for seven years. I was just listening to Prisoner. Um, I forget the guy's name is Jason something. I'm sorry. Uh, and. It's because there's a new podcast out called 544 Days, right? It's on it's on um, Spotify, and it's about a guy who was reporting in Iran, and he was living there with his wife, and one day, as they're going to, like, go out to a party, the police come and take them and lock them up. And they put his wife in solitary for 72 days, and he was locked up for 544 days. And it's very interesting. The podcast was so interesting to me. But I was like, first of all, I don't want to dick around with Spotify. I know people love Spotify. I don't want to download another thing to my phone. I just don't want to. And two, I don't want to dick, dick around with serialized content. I don't have the patience for it right now. So, like, I don't want to be sitting around going, when's the next episode of this coming out? So I saw that he'd written a book, or excuse me, he mentioned he'd written a book in the podcast. And I was like, oh, maybe I can get the audiobook. I have all these fucking uh, Audible credits. I, so I downloaded the book. Loved it. Really good. Lots of, like, because I don't know a lot about Persian, Iranian culture. I don't know anything about that. Um, 
except for what I learned from Shaws of Sunset, okay? So nothing, so nothing like substantial. So that was really interesting. I loved his stories. There are people who will not like the book because it's not perfectly in chronological order. He doubles back to his childhood, his father. Um, he tells us right away that like when he was arrested, three years prior, his father, like the patriarch of their family had had died. And just before that, his nephew, his brother's son had been killed. Or not killed, excuse me. Had died of like a virus or something or something. And he was like a child. He was like five or six years old. And like... I don't know, going through these things, I, I just found it incredibly interesting. I also didn't know much about um, Iranian history and he goes through some things and I don't know, I, it was really, really good. But the reason I'm mentioning it, it, it's called Prisoner, by the way. His first name is Jason. I'm afraid to mispronounce his name because Obama always mispronounced his name when he was a prisoner of war <laughs> and and I, and I he really like hated that. Um, but... It was really good. But one of the things he talks about is how solitary confinement, I believe it was the UN, has has said that solitary confinement over, fuck, it's, I think it's like weeks, uh, a few weeks is considered torture because of the effects it has on your mind and all this, it's, it's torture. Um... And so when I was listening to this and it was like, Sammy was in solitary for seven years. They probably call it segregation, not solitary, because they were, it was for his own good. He's a high profile prisoner. I was like, damn, he only got one phone call a month, one hour out of his cell a day. So she goes to visit him. She hasn't really seen him a ton. Um, this is right before the show she gets on mob wise because Karina's like seven or eight and but they've decided to come visit him he doesn't want them to really visit him he only wants them to send him mail and stuff and at one point they were talking on the phone and he starts talking about the bugs that come visit him at night and how he's named them and their friends and stuff and just the way he's talking about it makes her feel like very uncomfortable like a shift has happened in his brain like it's gotten to him so he's finally out of solitary and her and her mother go and visit and the, her mother's only visited once before, and she said they brought him out in a cage, like in a glass cage that they wheeled out. I was like, damn, she's like Hannibal Lecter style. So this visit is very interesting. They, it's an eight-hour visit for two days. They stay at a hotel and come back and stuff. And she hasn't seen him forever. She, he comes out. He's toothless. He doesn't have his dentures. He. When he'd been arrested, he'd been in the middle of getting... He recently... he gotten veneers when he was hanging out with Gotti. You know, you want to look good next to the Teflon Don. And so he... You know, with veneers, they, they sand down your teeth. And you got to get them redone and shit. So he was in the middle of getting them redone when he was arrested for the ecstasy ring. And his teeth had given him trouble. He just got to the point where they he had him pull them out. And uh, he wasn't wearing his dentures. He was toothless. He was small. He I think he'd been... Diagnosed with Graves' disease. Um, so his body had gone through changes. And he just looked so fucking different. Um, and she goes to this visit. And sets the stage for like reconnecting with her father. And how prison has changed him. 
And then she goes back. So she goes back to when she was six years, like when she was born, when she was a kid, growing up in Brooklyn and then Staten Island. And like, so throughout the book, she will talk about that she does not, she didn't really know her father was a gangster. That's how she pronounces it. So she says, she'll say, she'll, she uses words like wise guys, gangsters, uh, in the mob. That's how she describes it. And she'll say she didn't really know. It was never confirmed for her. Like she found a gun under the bed when she was six years old. Her father, and and she thought, you know, she asked her mom about it. And, and she asked if she knew her father had, gone, had been in the military. And and she asked if he hadn't because he'd been in the military. Her mom was like, yeah, that's it. And, she, and things like when she was little, he didn't dress the way the other fathers. He was always in sweatpants and gold chains. And she just, there were signs, but no one said, your father is in the mob, okay? So when Karen Small, well, let's start with how, with how, um, Sammy got involved in, in the mob. Sammy started off, um, his parents are immigrants, um, from Italy, straight from Italy. Like he grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, he was running around with neighborhood gangs. He grew up as a kid who he has dyslexia and he was just doing terrible in school. So, you know, people make fun of him. So his thing was to weed him outside, beat him up. I mean, he became like one of those kids and he leaves school in the eighth grade. I think he's like 16. His kids, they have to sign him out of school because they're like, listen, he can't be here. He's about to grow a beard. He can't be here, which is not what they do now, by the way. But so, and he's basically running with street gangs. His father's in, is, um, I believe he works like, he works in like garments. He's at a dress factory or something like that. And, um, you know, can't, Sammy's a street kid. He's running around. He's in little gangs and stuff in the neighborhood. Um, you know, shit like that. After he got married to her mom, which by the way, the story of him getting married to his mom, to her mom, her, he's like 24 and her mom, her, his, her mom is like 16 or 17. And like when he goes to ask for her hand in marriage, that her parents don't want to give it to him because they're like, no, we've heard about you. And then he's kind of like pressuring them about it. And so finally they're like, yeah, okay, fine. But like, they're thinking you gotta wait till she's eighteen, and also like um, all the the wedding like reception places are all full up, so they're not gonna be able to get. And Sammy pulls some strings and gets them into some like reception hall, and they end up getting married like a couple of months before she turns eighteen. So she gets married to her mom. I think her mom's name is Debbie or something like that. She she calls her mom a lot, so it's really hard. She she often in the book she calls her mom her mother mom, and she calls. Uh, her father, Sammy. So when she's born, she's the first born, she's born there living in Long Island with uh, some parent, with his parent or her parents or whatever. And Sammy's working construction, you know, that gang street shit is like over. Um, construction, and by the way, construction was a real passion of his. It wasn't, was it like, 
a cover for a lot of things he did, but he also really liked working construction. And he really liked rebuilding houses and putting things in and and knocking out walls and doing, like, he really loved shit like that. And his construction company did make money, even though, you know, it was a front for a lot of other things. But um, at some point, what happens is a jailhouse informant puts a double murder on him and another guy. Now, according to Karen, he didn't do it. Like, okay, so that's, that's another thing I want to remind you guys of. I'm, what we hear in this book is from Karen's perspective. I don't know if Karen's lying, especially when we get to the ecstasy ring stuff. Some of the stuff doesn't add up and we'll talk about it. But this is Karen, this is what Karen believes to be true. And I believe she believes she's putting the truth in here. I don't, quite frankly, I don't see what it what it does for Sammy to lie to Karen about the things he's done when he's been so open about the thing, about some really terrible things he's done. So I don't feel like he would lie about certain things, you know? But whatever. According to Sammy, this is a lie. The informant is upset with him and the other guy because they beat him up during some gang shit, you know, uh, a couple of years earlier. So they want to put it on him. But what happens is he's got to get a lawyer. He's got to put a case together. He's got to... He's got to bail himself out. He's got to borrow money from a wise guy to do that. And this legal stuff. And then he can't really work. And so he starts going back to street life. And really doing life of crime stuff. Robbing, stealing, that sort of things. Uh, she said something called trunking. Which is like at a time when you would like steal things out of the trunks of cars. And stuff like that. So, and while he's out on bail, he gets arrested three times because he's committing all these crimes, getting trying to get money to pay back the wild guy he owes for bail, to pay for his lawyer, all this other shit. He ends up getting dismissed right before he goes to court. But by that point, he's been in the street life for over a year. He's been arrested several times. And he's like, fuck it, I'm going to make more money this way. So, Joe Colombo, who is the head of the Colombo crime family, likes Sammy. Even though he had like beat up two of his kids in a movie theater at one point, he really likes him because Sammy's like kind of honorable. He let the the his kids go before like really fucking them up because he was like, I don't really want to kill you guys and whatever. He found the Joe Colombo found very like found that to be honorable. So he ends up making Sammy a associate of the Colombo family. So that's not made. That's not a part of the mob that is a street guy somebody who's running the street he's probably running with a lower level gang of some sort but he can be around you guys he answers to you guys for a lot of things an associate think Chrissy and Chrissy Chris and what's the dude that ends up getting killed in Sopranos you guys know exactly what I'm talking about so many scenes with Chris that dude and Adriana um Adrian, excuse me, because they didn't call her odd. They called her aid. Um, though, associates. We know these guys. They're, we sometimes do small things for them. If we get a piece of something, we definitely got to kick up something to this guy. We, we hang around, but we're not made. So they made him an associate. They signed him a crew. You know, first two things he had to do was rob a bank, rob a clothing store. And with, within two years, he's about 25, and he's asked to kill his first person. His name is Joe Colucci, and Joe Colucci had a problem with uh, Sammy, so he had put a hit out on him. He said, 
So when they say put a hit out, a lot of times it seems very casual. Like somebody's just singing to him like, I think I'm gonna kill that guy. Instead of like, where I think of it is something very like uh, contractual. But so there's a guy, basically this guy is gonna kill Sammy and he's been given permission to kill him. So Sammy kills him. They're in a car together. Sammy shoots him two times in the back of his head, kicks, uh, they throw him out in the street, shoot him a couple more times. And this murder gave him a lot of respect for the bosses. One, he was a good earner. He brought in money out of the street. He wasn't afraid to kill. Everybody liked him. Okay? But his crew leader was a little jealous because he had a nephew who was also an associate. And he wanted his nephew. He was afraid Sammy being in such good graces would mean that he would be made before the nephew did. And so there's a little friction there. And so there was an agreement to transfer. When she said transfer, I was like, I was just thinking of like someone double stamping a paperwork, approved, transfer. But obviously that's not what happened. To transfer him over to the Gambino crime family. And shortly after he moved over there, he was made. Okay? So this is how Sammy gets involved. This is also when he gets back into the construction business. Essentially, his um, his brother-in-law who owned a construction um, business, it went under. He paid to get him out of all the debt and stuff. And then they started one together. It was called Marathon Construction or whatever. And Sammy did, like I said, he was very into the construction. He went to his office every day. He hired people. They did work. It wasn't like he, it was just a front. He really loved building and rebuilding things. Um, now, he was like, he he did like skim off the top from the union stuff. He was he was involved in every every construction uh, job because he had his hooks in the union. Uh, and there was a lot of corruption there. But according to Karen, he also did a good job, and that's why he got all the jobs. I think Karen believes that. I'm not saying Sammy didn't do a good job, but let's not pretend like the fact that he is backed by the Gambino crime family. He's known as a killer. He's also uh, involved in in corruption with the union. That that wasn't a reason why his construction business was very was very uh, successful. That said, it's one of the reasons Karen was able as a kid to kind of be like, well, my dad goes to the office every day. I see my dad's like construction crews working. He's always talking about this next project and that project. It makes sense. That's why he's made all this fucking money. Like, cause you know, they're very rich during this time, Sammy, you know, he's still doing his mob shit. He is investigated for, for money laundering and tax evasion. He's also investigated for the murder of this check guy. Um, apparently, cause he owned clubs too. Okay. So he owned clubs and bars and he owned this club and he just felt like he really couldn't be there enough. And he wanted to sell this check guy was going to buy it for like a million dollars. This is like in the eighties too, a million dollars. And then the guy started acting weird. He started knocking down walls. He hadn't even paid the money yet. And he was being disrespectful. And Sammy has him, kills him, kills him. The night that Sammy does this, Karen sees him with a gun and wearing gloves. It's in the summer. 
And she's asking him these questions, and he's telling her not to ask questions and stuff. And it's yet another reason growing up where she was like, something's not right with my dad. And after this thing happens, they have to go to their summer house. By the way, they had a horse a horse farm in New Jersey that they would go to in the summers. Karen grew up riding horses. Uh, she had her own horses. She took They took lessons, and then she had her own horses in the horse farm. And she he, he sends them out there to go earlier than they expected. And then he shows up and then some of the guys show up and that was unusual because the people, the like people, his crew and people in the lifestyle definitely came out and hung out and like did stuff. They would garden and, and do shit with the horses and all that shit. And his dad and her dad rebuilt that house and everything. And he would expect them to work. They definitely came out, but not the way they came out with their families, not just the dudes. And Karen's there and she's used to eavesdropping on her parents when they sit on this like porch thing. Cause she'll be like, can we go to Six Flags? And then they'll say, we'll think about it. And then she goes and eavesdrops and see what they say. But her dad's out there with a bunch of guys and she comes out and she goes to eavesdrop. It's the first time she's really done that to her dad when he's talking to like, obviously men that work with him. And they basically, she hears something like Castellano's pissed and her dad's like, I had to do what I had to do. Fuck him. And she already knows that the guy that was supposed to buy the club is dead. Got, got shot in front of the club. And this is another reason. So this is what I'm saying. When Karen's like, I didn't really know until my dad cooperated what he was. I'm like, okay, but you did know. Like, Maybe that's the first time you allowed yourself to, to like, be clear about it. But you didn't know. You had all these, these, these uh, signs. She even talks about, she used to go to this, like, fancy school. I think it was called Staten Island Academy. And, you know, it was a fancier school in a nice neighborhood. And Paul Castellano lived in that neighborhood. And she knew Paul Castellano was her dad's boss in the construction business. And... She's a little girl asked her to play and they're playing out front and the little girl goes, you know, that big house over there. And she did know the house. It was Paul Castellano's house. She's been over there. And Karen's like, yeah, she and the little girl goes, a gangster lives over there. And Karen goes, she didn't say anything, but she thought, well, Paul Castellano's a gangster and my dad works for him. He's a gangster. My dad's a gangster, too. And so, like, I'm like, this is what I'm saying. You fucking knew. You just didn't know. I mean, maybe you just weren't going to say about it. So what happens, like Sammy doesn't become a household name. He doesn't become like very important until Paul Castellano's murder. Paul Castellano was assassinated or murdered in front of a steakhouse, him and his, him and another guy, I guess his bodyguard or something. And this was orchestrated by John Gotti, Frank, I forget Frank's last name, and Sammy. And what happens is Gotti becomes the boss Frank becomes the underboss and Sammy becomes a word that I cannot pronounce. Let me try to pronounce it. Hold on. Deep breath. Consigulary. That's as, that's as good as you're going to get from me, guys. But so what it means is God is top. Frank is is number two. And and uh, number two is the underboss. And uh, Sammy's number three. Now. As Gotti comes in, we get a new era, okay? Gotti, as you know, I've, I've advised you guys to watch plenty of A&E shit. 
that gives you all the behind the scenes and shade on Gotti and all those other. He but he was flashy. He dressed really nicely. He liked to meet out in the open. He was a Teflon Don. Plenty of things would nothing would stick to him. They throw shit at him and they would not stick to him. He would win these fucking cases left and right. And as Sammy starts to like as Gotti rises to the fame and Sammy's right there with him, Sammy suddenly has to have a driver. Suddenly he's got to dress nicely. Suddenly he's got to wear suits and ties instead of his sweatpants and shit. He's got to, he gets his teeth done. It's different. And Gotti really felt, and we'll talk about this more when they get arrested, Gotti really felt that like if Sammy is not looking a certain way, that makes Gotti look bad. That's it. So... That's what happens as they, as he, he climbs the rank, he starts to become very, I don't want to say popular, but he becomes like a household. He's in the papers more, that sort of thing. You know, I mean, he's in the, the shots behind Gotti. And again, Karen has seen her father in the paper. And again, I'm like, Karen, you fucking knew. Meanwhile, Karen's becoming an unruly teenager. She started a really upsell school, like I said, in Staten Island. But by the time Sammy is becoming a regular paper, she feels like she doesn't fit in with those rich girls there anymore. She transferred to another school where her childhood friends, who also had mafia connections, are there. Ramona Rizzo. You may have heard of her. She has a sister named Roxanne. And she and um, she and Karen are good friends. And they, they've always hung out. Um, she kind of drifted apart from them when she was at her rich academy. But, you know, their fathers are good friends. They always call each other cousin. And now they're, like, hanging tough as teenagers. Um, there's a new school. She fights. She steals. She sneaks out all the time. She sneaks out so much the feds surveilling her house. Would call out to her, like, Karen, you going, you going out dancing tonight? Like, they're, they're, they see her every night. Her father almost shoots her one time because you got to go down the roof and shit. And there are plenty of times a hit was out on Sammy. And he was just very careful. Like, they moved around quite a bit. Um, like I said, they moved to a fancy, fancier places. And then when he got to God, with Gotti, he really needed to, like, be more protected. Like, so then they were in a different area where you couldn't, like, get to them. It was, like, down on one street. And then, but this is a really nice area. And then as he gets to be more popular, people realize who he is. And they just don't, like, there are certain places he's lived where people knew he was a gangster. And was just like, yeah, that's Sammy. He's fine. And there are other places that were like, no. She talks about how she wanted her father to get her to get a membership to the country club. Because um, all her friends hang out there all summer, go to the pool and do all this stuff. Her father goes up there and they go off to talk. And she comes back. He comes back and she goes. She goes, uh, he basically says, get out of here. You're not going there. I'll take you anywhere you want. But you can't go there that summer. And... Karen says that she figured out that the guy was prejudiced against gangsters. What the fuck is she talking about? See, if he was prejudiced against Italian people, if he was prejudiced against people who talked a certain way because it, it made it seem like you weren't good enough, to, that's one thing. But everybody's prejudiced against gangsters. Well, not everybody, excuse me. Lots of people are. And the reason is is because... People shoot you up. We don't want you to come here if, you, if somebody's going to shoot at you while you're here. That's a that's a fine thing to feel like. But to her, it was like, because I guess that they require proof of income. I mean, Sam, what's Sammy's proof of income? Um, 
I'm not sure, but it just seemed like such a weird thing to say they were prejudiced against gangsters. Now, if this has happened to me, I would be thinking to myself, they probably took one look at him and was like, oh, he's not our kind of people. You know, that kind of guy is like, that's prejudice. Like, oh, he talks a certain way, he walks a certain way, he doesn't do this. But if someone's like, no, I definitely know that guy. He is the, at, some, at one point, Frank guy dies and Sammy becomes the underboss. He's the underboss of the Gambino crime family. I don't exactly want the meeting here. That's a different thing. I think that's a fair thing to say. But whatever. I mean, maybe I'm prejudiced. I don't know. Um, but yeah, her father, she's sneaking in one day and her father almost fucking shoots her because he's like, you cannot be climbing on my fucking roof. Anything can fucking happen. Um, at her sweet 16, the place is filled with mob guys, including Gotti. And it's the first time Karen ever met him. He gave her a thousand dollars in cash. And it was afterwards that she realized that the video photographer sucked because he didn't get a lot of stuff because her father would not let him record anything past the, uh, the dance floor, only the dance floor. Cause the mob guys aren't going out on the fucking dance floor. Uh, and she, and she asked her dad about it and she's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I, yeah, that's how it has to be. And I'm like, you tell me you didn't know, Karen, you tell me you didn't know. Because if it were me and I didn't know, I'd be like, why? Oh, it turns out I'm a part of a criminal enterprise and we don't want to be on tape together, which makes sense. Um, Karen graduates high school. Um, her grades aren't great. <laughs> she doesn't really go to high school. She's running around and they don't think she's going to college. Her father asks her what she wants to do. And she's like, I think I should open a flower shop because between the funerals and communions, like wise guys, they send money for everything. Our, our people send money for everything. I mean, send flowers for everything. So when she's when she graduates, her father gives her the keys. It's the keys to a flower shop that's attached to his office. That office that Karen goes to visit in the first um, in the first season of uh, Mob Wives. And next to the office is her flower shop, and she does great business. She says. I was very surprised. Everyone we knew ordered from, including God, including all the wise guys, including all the mop guys. Um, and I'm like, no shit, Karen. See, for a lot of point, like Karen, she'd be like, I had a very successful flower business. Hmm. Don't know how that happened. But like she was 18, 19, running this, this flower shop, um, making good money, you know, seeing her dad all the time next to his construction office. And, you know, she called it exotic touch because it was tropical and elegant. <laughs> I'm just imagining Karen being like 19, smoking a bunch of weed with her friends, being like, what are we going to call this flower shop? I need something tropical and elegant. <laughs> so she she's running the place. And at night, during the day and at night, she's running the street with the local baby gangsters. You know, the kids in the neighborhood, everybody thinks they're somebody, little petty crimes and shit like that. At one point, she hears she doesn't have to take, collect sales tax on cash transactions. It's not true. You do need to collect sales tax. It's hard to, for the IRS to realize, or the state to realize, because that's who you owe your sales tax to, to realize you're not take, collecting sales tax because it's not reported on your, if you don't report cash transactions. I used to work for a place that in the contract used to write, 
we won't you you don't have to pay you don't have to pay a sales tax if you pay in cash, and I couldn't believe that. And when I pointed out to the guy, he was like, "Oh yeah, we should take that off of there. That's illegal." But Karen here, she don't have to do that. So somebody calls and they want to big do a big order. She's like, "Yeah, but if you don't, if you pay in cash, I'm not going to charge you sales tax." And her uncle Eddie, who's married to her her father's sister, happens to come in because he would always come and check in on her and shit. Like slams the phone down and goes, "You the 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 phones could be tapped. You cannot be saying shit like that because guys, they always get you in the tax shit. You know what I'm saying? That would be exactly how they get Sammy. His daughter's not charging sales tax. They like so. And then later, her father comes by and says very loudly, as if uh he's um <laughs> as if somebody's listening. Goes, Karen, people want to pay their taxes." Charge them their taxes. You can't sell anybody anything without charging taxes. And she's like, yeah, and I figured it out what he was trying to say. Because people don't really want to pay their taxes. I think he was just trying to say, I need to charge taxes. I'm like, Karen, you're fucking stupid. Again, you didn't know, Karen? Wiretaps? Who's wiretapping you? <laughs> Why are they wiretapping you? Because uh, they're very interested in your flower shop? <sighs> Karen. So suddenly the feds are upping surveillance of the flower shop, the house, even at family events. And the reason is they're all about to get indicted. What are they getting indicted for? That Castellano murder, as well as several more. Gotti has Sammy go out on the lamb because they thought that if Sammy, he, Gotti thought that if Sammy wasn't around, that they couldn't pull the indictment down. Because Sammy is the first person who actually pulled the trigger or if he didn't commit the murder himself, he was involved in playing the murder. Uh, Gotti would sanction them, but Sammy was the one who got him done. Um, but Sammy doesn't stay far or gone far. He ends up coming back and trying to lay low. And instead, Gotti summons him to a meeting place that's very open. That's like people know. People know it's where they meet. So, I mean, he's pretty sure he's getting arrested. And he's like annoyed because he wanted to like he wanted to come back and fix some figure out some things before he was gonna get arrested. And in this case, normally he wore a suit to go see him, but he didn't. This time he dressed down like jeans and a t-shirt and like a sweatshirt because he expected to be arrested. So he's arrested. The feds come in. Gotti tells them they've been expecting them. They're just gonna finish their coffee and then they'll go with him. Obviously, they didn't get bail. Karen just assumed he'd be home that night after he got arrested, but. Like, I find Karen, when she's talking in this, about this story, to be, in, to, to talking about her life, to be completely naive about a lot of things. Like, even when Ramona's boyfriend got, got arrested and she's like, well, there's no bail, maybe they'll do bail. I'm like, when they don't give you bail, it's for a fucking reason. Especially some white guy with money. Definitely for a fucking reason. Um, when Sammy's in prison, they go and visit him every week. Prison. He's in jail at this point, I guess. I would say jail because it's pre- it's pre-sentencing. Um, they're always on time. Her mother and, and Karen always go. But Gotti's son and brother are never on time, and that causes problems. Peter and, and, and Junior, I guess. And because they pull the prisoners out of the cells based on when your, visit, when your visitors get there. And then also Gotti has this thing about people shaking, like greeting people in a certain order. And he just feels like it makes them look worse. And... Also, Karen thinks Gotti wanted to hear everything that Sammy was saying to his visitors. So Gotti has to ask 
so basically Sammy has to be like, tell his wife, listen, you and Karen, you guys got to get here later because it's, it's fucking, Gotti's mad at me and this and this. Even Gotti's brother Peter was like, you guys, John gets mad every time when we're not here. You got to, if you get here, you need to stay out here and wait for us. So we all go in. This is just like an example. I found this to be an example of like the way Gotti was very controlling of Sammy, even after they got arrested. I mean, he's the boss. He's expected to be controlling. But I just found it to be, like I said, when I talk about, I talk, I think I talked about this with Liz when she was on this show. The reason Sammy the Bull cooperated with the feds has very little to do, like he's not, how do I say this? I was going to say he's not a snitch. I mean, he is a snitch. But I don't, I mean, listen, people snitch. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, but... The reason he's not someone who, as soon as he got arrested, was like, "How do I not get in trouble?" Because that's how I'd be thinking. I'd be like, "Oh, you guys are gonna give me twenty years? I can't do twenty years. Who do I gotta talk about?" That's how I feel. Don't do crimes with me, guys. Don't don't do crimes with me. Please don't. Don't invite me to do crimes. Don't tell me about your crimes afterwards. Don't come to my house afterwards. Just just don't do that because I'm not doing time. God is not like me. He was in prison. He was in jail for over a year before he cooperated. The reason he cooperated is because he lost respect for John. He felt John was trying to fuck him over. If Gotti had been very different with Sammy while they were locked up, I don't think Sammy, I think Sammy would have done his time. I just believe that. I don't always believe that when people say shit like that. I got to feel Sam, something's wrong with Sammy. I, yeah, and I believe he would have done the time. So it's not really about a rat turning evidence on the boss. It's more of a friendship breakup. It's like when I when I quit Hardee's, which is my first W-2 job ever, and I just went in there and was like, I don't have to work here anymore. I don't want to do this. And I just was like, fuck this and left. That's what that's really what it was with Sammy. He really was just like, fuck this, and blew up the whole fucking world because of how he felt about Godding. So, on, like, so they have visits on different days. Sometimes the men in their lives, like their crew and stuff, come visit them. But when the family came and visited, um, like, like, Sammy's wife would be, like, they weren't super affectionate at home, Karen said. Like, they, he would, like, lay his head in his wife's lap, stuff like that. But in prison, like, she really missed him when he was gone. And she would, like, rub his hand or his leg or whatever. And Sammy would be, like, stop. Because Gotti felt like it showed, it made it look like Sammy was scared. He's like, you're the underboss. You got your wife in here rubbing your hand like you're scared. It's your first time and all this other stuff. He also didn't like that Sammy worked out because he felt like he, he should really be separating himself from these other prisoners and stuff. You know, like he just really, I don't know, he was really controlling of what was happening. That December, after they get arrested, you're in a barrel hearing. They play some wiretaps in open court while both men are there. During the taps, you can hear Gotti bashing Sammy, basically saying Sammy bullied him into sanctioning these hits. He also accused Sammy of holding back money from his construction business. Basically, he talked about Sammy like he was some fucking animal that was wild, and he just, I can't do anything about it. And he was talking to Frank. This is before Frank died. Got killed, I guess. And 
Sammy was angry because he had not wanted to have the meetings in those well-known places. Uh, a lot of, because they had kept having the meetings in the same spot over and over that was very out in the open, that that's how they were, that's how the feds knew to bug those places. Sammy wanted to switch things up. And he also felt like the conversation that Gotti was having with Frank in those conversations was laying the groundwork for a hit to be put out for on Sammy. So that you start talking about how Sammy doesn't give the money that he's supposed to, right? He's holding back from you, which is disrespectful. Then you start talking about how Sam, you can't control Sammy. Sammy be killing anybody he wants to. You didn't even want to, but, you know, Sammy just wouldn't let this go. So you finally had to sanction the hit because otherwise Sammy's going to do it. Like, the way you're laying it out lays the groundwork for, I don't know, a couple months later, you'll be like, we got to get rid of Sammy. Got to put it. That's that's how Sammy felt, which I can understand, okay? Can't believe I'm agreeing with Sammy, but that's how I, that I can understand that. So after they hear this, they lock Sammy and Gotti up in a holding cell together, which I thought, and they start arguing. I was like, that's a good way for one of you motherfuckers to come back and one of those guys be dead. Like, basically, Sammy thought Gotti was setting him up for the fall. So he wanted to sever cases and Gotti didn't want, didn't want him to do that. Then he told Sammy and Frank, not Frank, Frank died. Somebody else is in jail with him. He told the two of them that they couldn't listen to any more wiretap tapes. I was like, that's interesting. What don't you want them to hear? Then also they couldn't see lawyers unless he was there with them. So like, obviously if someone's saying this to me, I've already heard that they're, that behind my back they're saying all this stuff that's different from what they're saying in my face. Now they won't they won't let me listen to any wiretaps. Now I can't speak to my lawyer without them. You also won't let me sever your, my case from you. I'm thinking, oh, that makes that makes all the sense in the world. There's a, your lawyer is going to defend me too, and your lawyer who you can meet with without me, but I can't meet without you is saying is going to say that you're going to throw me under the bus. Sam was really upset. He really thought about killing Gotti, but. He decided not to. Um, he was in prison a year before he decided to cooperate with the feds. He asked the family to come to the prison. He told them before anyone else knew. He, the feds had given him two weeks to like kind of get his stuff in order before it came out. And Karen and her mother are pissed. So when Karen, when Gotti gets arrested, according when when Sammy gets arrested, according to Karen, this is when she finds out her father is definitely in the mob. Even though he's given her newspaper articles. Remember on the show she said he gave her a newspaper and said, read this. Do you believe everything you read? Some of this is true. Some of this isn't. Some of it I'm not going to talk about with it because you're a kid. Like, she's known about things. But this is when she was definitely her father's and the mom. Definitely her whole life was based on the fact that he was in the mob. All the respect they would get when they would go out. Because they started going out a lot when, when, uh, when he when Gotti came to power and Gotti really expected a lot of things and they would go out to dinners a lot. And like the way they were treated was very different. This is all because the way the street kids treat you is different because of this, but also she's a daddy's girl and she's never been away from her father and him being arrested. And then like her whole life, he had told her not to snitch. Like when her and her brother were fighting and one would come to him, she'd be like, he'd be like, don't snitch, go work it out. Um, and so now he's like, I'm going to cooperate. At this meeting, Karen calls him a rat to his face, um, which is something she would have never done if they were been on the street. He tells her he's done with the shit and that God is a double-crosser, but he's a master double-crosser. He's about to fuck him. 
And before the visit's over, he tells them that they have about a week before the shit comes out and some of it won't be true. Uncle Eddie's there too, because Uncle Eddie's a part of uh, Sammy's crew. Now, Eddie's the first one who told Gotti, who told Sammy that Gotti was going to use a defense that was basically like, I lost control of Sammy. Sammy did this on his own. But Eddie was not on board with the cooperation. He said he was going to stay with the Gambino crime, the organization. And Karen's mother told Sammy she was not going to win his protection plan and that, that he was on his own. At this point, Karen talks a lot about how the families were not a part of it. And now she didn't want to be a part of it now either. And I'm like, your whole life was a part of it, though. Like, lots of relatives were in there with you. You guys spent a lot of time with these other mob guys. You Like, what are you talking about? But okay, she says the families are separate. So Sammy signs an agreement to take up to 20 years in exchange for his cooperation, and he ends up take, getting like five with three years probation in the end. During that time, the paper runs a list of his victims. Because at this point, the paper, was, the media was basically like, Sammy's wild and Gotti's the victim or whatever. It's 13 victims. They have 13 tombstones on the front page. And this is when they find out that an uncle... Th- Karen's mom's brother, who disappeared years ago, Sammy killed him. They've been mourning him. They've been wondering where he is. They've been searching for him, and Sammy killed him. And this is like heartbreak for the family. As news breaks that Karen's coming, news breaks that this is coming out, Karen's coming back from visiting her father. And like, I, th- I guess they moved him to Quantico or something. They had to go out to visit him. And although Quantico, I don't know, maybe near Quantico which is in Virginia. Um, she's a call for some of her friends and say they're coming over. Three of her friends show up. And this is the story she tells her. She was worried like someone could hurt her. She didn't know if they were coming over there to fuck her up or what. But she goes and gets in the car. In the car is Ramona Rizzo, Roxanne Rizzo, and Jennifer Graziano. In the book, Karen talks about that Jennifer Graziano was her age and she was a friend. Their fathers were, were in business together. They did stuff together growing up. Renee was much older and she said that Renee was much more flashy and stuff like wearing furs and out here and talking loud and stuff like she was definitely a mafia princess again Karen you knew because why are you calling Renee a mafia princess and saying that your fathers work together in this car it's Ramona Roxanne and Jennifer and they tell Karen that their father said they can't be around her she she's not welcome in their homes she like this done, but they don't care that they're sisters, they're best friends. They're going to be for life. And I was like, damn, okay. That's really, when Karen tells the story, it is so like, I almost cried. I had tears in my eyes when she was telling on the, on the, on the show. And to find out that Jennifer was in the car, the producer of the show, the person who the creator and producer of the show was in the car. I was like, oh wow. Why didn't they say that on the show? One of the things I think would be interesting is that they talked about that Karen was good friends with Jennifer and that, and Renee definitely was like, fuck her. She's a, her daddy's a rat. She's a baby rat. Her mama's a mama rat. Dave's some rats over there. Fuck them. But Jennifer didn't, didn't listen. And I wonder what kind of, what that caused in Jennifer's household. 
By the way, Flower Shop closes them almost immediately. As people find out, people are paging her and calling her and stuff. And as they find out about Sammy, he's in a newspaper with a rat head on top of his head and shit. Um, people cancel all their orders and Flower Shop goes under. She's like, huh, it was weird. What was weird, Karen? Karen, they were ordering from you because you were the underboss's daughter. That's why. So, once he cooperates, they don't visit him anymore. He calls, they don't go to the prison. Karen's mom sends messages out to everyone she knows that they don't agree with what Sammy's doing. And also, they're not going to the witness protection program. John Gotti was really understanding and actually didn't come at, didn't come for them. Uh, he did ask uh, Karen's mom to come to the court. And when Sammy was testifying, to kind of throw him off his game. But they... But he really respected the no women, no children thing and was like, they're not in the lifestyle. Um, yeah. Um, Uncle Eddie comes and, sa- and like is so angry. He's like, he can't do this. He can't do this. He tells Karen when she sees her father to tell him to kill himself because he can't do this. Um, he actually says, I'm going to give you something to give you your father when you go to the prison. Like, he wanted her to sneak in, like, our Snickers. Something for Sammy to kill himself with. He actually grabs Karen and says, I'm your father now. He's gone. I'm your father now. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do these things because I'm your father now. He left. And I was like, oh, wow. So, Sammy does end up testifying. He testifies for nine fucking days. For most of the trial, the, the, you know, the family went to California to get out of town because they didn't want to be around when this, all this was happening. And because of Sammy's testimony, Gotti gets life in prison. And like 30 other people get various sentences. Sammy, when he does do his jail time, he gets sent to Arizona. Uh, like I said, he does, he gets five years in prison, three on parole. Back in Staten Island, people are distancing themselves from the family. Any money Sammy had on the street, people just don't pay it. Uh, they're having money issues and shit. Uh, Karen starts to get really rebellious and acting tough and being bad because she had a lot of respect on the street when her father was the underboss. Then when he's a rat, she gets no respect and she's trying to get respect back. This is when she starts dating Lee. So by the way, guys, remember how it's all like, are Lee and Drita going to be in the book? Yeah, they're going to be in the fucking book. The reason they're going to be in the book is because Lee, it turns out, is a huge part of Karen's life. She tells all of Lee's business. Well, all the business while she knows him. And after hearing the Lee shit, it is so wild to me. Because I'm like, how on earth did you think you weren't going to be in this fucking book? How on... I just don't... I just... I... Like, Lee, there was no chance you were not going to be in this book. So, Lee is... They've known each other for years before they start dating. As a teenager, he's like a couple of years older than her. Three three years older than her, maybe. As a teenager, he's the leader of the neighborhood gang, the crew. You know, the, the kids out there doing bad shit. Um, he has a bad boy reputation. Lee was raised by his mother after his father, who's a car thief, was killed in a shootout at a chop shop by the feds. Lee, as a child, found out he came home from trick-or-treating. And, you know, it's really wild in his house. He asked his mother, he asked his mother, when is his father coming home? His his mother says, never, don't say that name again in his house. 
Like, that's how he finds out his father died. And it really gave him a problem with authority, the feds, all that shit. Um, he becomes the breadwinner at a young age because he's out there doing, like, petty crimes and shit. And his mother looks the other way as long as he brings the money in. So, another thing, Sammy ends up saving Lee's life as a teenager before they start dating. So... Sammy sent Karen to bring some pieces, like some bag to him. And he opens it and there's a piece of paper with some names on it. And one of them, they're like neighborhood kids. And one of them is Lee. And Sammy is asking her about the neighborhood kids and which one she knows. She says she knows Lee. He asks her if he's a good, if he's a good kid. And Karen's like, yeah, for when I, yeah, he's, she doesn't say like, oh, he, he breaks in the cars and shit. But yeah, he's a good kid. And, which is a lie. And she says, Go at, go, when you see this kid, tell him to come see me. Don't tell him, don't go anywhere. Don't come out of his house until he comes and sees me tomorrow. And she does that through her boyfriend at the time, Tommy, who is running in the streets too. And so they get the message over there and Lee comes over and Sammy, what has happened is Sam is Lee has beat up the nephew, I guess. I think he's a nephew of a wise guy. And the wise guy is like, we're going to kill him. Because he's running in these streets. He thinks he can do whatever he wants to. He needs to show us respect, blah, blah, blah. And Sammy's like, listen, you can't just be running in these streets like this. You First of all, you need to, like, basically, not, necess- not an associate per se, but more like, if you're out here doing this shit, you need to show us respect. You need to, you need to understand that there's rules to this shit. And I'm going to keep this guy from killing you, but only because I like you. My daughter says you're, you're, you're a good kid and I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but don't let this happen again. And after that, Lee, Lee was very grateful. Lee always kind of looked out for Karen, who's a little younger than, than he was. And, you know, he didn't have like a relationship relationship with Sammy, but like he always thought of Sammy as saving his life when he was a kid. Um, so when Lee and Karen start dating, they have known each other for quite a minute. After they've been dating for two years, Karen's mom moves to Arizona with Gerard, her younger brother. Why? Because a hit has been put out on Gerard. The feds have told Sammy in prison that there's word on the street that somebody's going to kill Gerard. They're go- Gerard's 18. They're going to lure him to a club and kill him there. And the reason is, first of all, he's not a kid anymore, right? Women, you know, we don't do women and kids. And he's Sammy's only son. And it's payback for Sammy's shit. Because a lot of people are still mad at Sammy. Um, and they didn't have much information about who it was. They didn't, want, they didn't want Sammy to, like, retaliate. But what they know now is that it wasn't Gotti. Gotti did follow that code. He would never do that with his kids. It was someone else. So what happens is the mom's like, I'm not staying in Staten Island anymore. She, Gerard, Gerard's girlfriend... Her, the mother's sister, Diane, and her two girls all moved to Arizona. They'd been to Arizona, like Phoenix. Uh, they'd been to Phoenix and they liked it there. They liked the weather. A lot of New York people live there. They, uh, they buy houses next to each other. They buy a bagel business because, you know, it's a lot of New York transplants and they don't have great bagels there. She said she and Gerard work there together. Um, Karen doesn't want to go. She and Lee move into that family house that, Sammy and the family used to live in. Lee owned his own house at the time. He sold it so he could move in. He moved all his furniture in. Karen tells us Lee was a bank robber. He paid all the bills there. He made lots of money. He took care of Karen. 
She says he shared all of his business with her about what was going on. I think she put that in the book because in the first season, uh, Drita said that Lee never told her anything. I was like, oh, that's jab, jab, jab. Lee was jealous. Lee hated going out. Lee didn't like her going anywhere. He was pretty controlling. That's how she describes him. He had a bad temper. Even though he'd be gone days at a time committing crimes, he didn't want her to go anywhere. Eventually, Lee and Karen moved to Arizona together. Okay? Um, that's interesting. Lee, like, if you listen to Drita, Lee and Karen were not serious. That is not the impression. This motherfucker's leaving states to go with her. They are serious. Lee is getting hot with the police on his trail, and Karen misses her family. Also, the house got shot up because of something Lee was doing. So they moved, and while down there, Lee is still doing criminal shit and going back and forth to New York to make money. He can't really find a way to make money in Arizona. He even brought some guys out to Arizona from New York, and they're doing crimes down there. While they're there, Sammy gets out of prison, and he goes into the witness protection plan and moves to Boulder, Colorado, as Jimmy Moran. The feds register a construction company in his name, because that's what, that's, what, that's what Sammy loves to do. And he gets to work again. Um... Karen's still upset about the cooperation. Like, she is not close to her father at this time. And she took it all very personally. Like, it ruined her life. But they work on their relationship. At one point, Lee and Karen go to visit him outside of Boulder. And it's the first time Lee has met Sammy as Karen's boyfriend. At that visit, Lee tells Karen that he's leaving Witsec. Excuse me. He tells Lee and Karen that he's leaving Witsec. And, sorry, uh... Witness protection. I call it WITSEC because I was a huge fan of this show called uh, In Plain Sight about U.S. Marshals working on the witness protection program. And they always called it WITSEC. I don't know what that stands for, but that's what they called it. There was a marshal named Marshall on it. It was definitely USA, a part of USA's Blue Skies programming. Go fucking watch it. It's good. Anytime I start talking about witness protection, everything I know came from that fucking show. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, he's, he's going to leave witness protection program. He has some money stashed away. He's going to use it to help Karen and Lee get set up in legit business. What he wants is to like be near his kids in Arizona and like just really help them get back on their feet. He tells Lee he can't be a street guy if he wants to be a Karen. He also tells Lee that, that when anyone, if anybody comes to Arizona to hurt his family, it's going to be a fucking war and Lee needs to know whose side he's going to be on. Because, you know, Lee's an associate at this point of the mafia. He's like running around with those guys. So Lee decides he wants to go back to Staten Island. One, he can't really make money. Also, because he's an associate, he's, he's doing all these crimes and stuff, he doesn't want to be put in the middle between Sammy the Bull and the people that are selling them off. And he knows that Sammy is going to leave with his protection and go to Arizona. And he, does, he wants to be gone from Arizona when Sammy does that. Even though he's with Sammy's daughter, he feels like he can be distanced himself from Sammy if he's not around Sammy. So... He moves back to New York before Sammy leaves witness protection and Karen goes with him. Sammy tells Karen that Lee is a street guy and doesn't respect authority because of what happened to his father, but he's not down for the life. He does not know about mafia life. He doesn't know the code. He doesn't respect it. He doesn't understand it. And that he's probably going to end up in prison. He says that he respects her decisions, but that's where Lee's going to end up. When they get back to New York, Lee tells her that he doesn't want her to have contact with her father. And she's basically like, 
she doesn't have a lot of contact with her father, but she's basically like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they don't really talk about her dad ever again. They aren't getting along. Her family's in Arizona. She's not in regular contact. Lee is fighting. They're fighting all the time. But Karen feels safe with him because he really protects her. Like his reputation on the street protects her. And he takes care of her. He pays all the bills. They cheat on each other all the time. It was a bad relationship. So after one big fight, Karen moves into her grandma's house. Her grandma goes to Florida in the winter so she can stay in her grandma's house for a few months. And she invites a new friend to move in, Drita. She's known Drita since before she went to Arizona the first time. Because she met her at a club, Drita walks up to her and asks her, does she know this stripper girl? And Karen's like, no. And she's like, good, because I'm about to fuck her up. And Drita gets into a fight with the girl. But they hit it off. Uh, Karen's other friends do not like her because she's not from the neighborhood. She's, she grew up in the projects. Again, these are not project girls, okay? Ramona, Roxanne, Karen, they grew up buying whatever they wanted. Gucci this, you know, Prada that. Whatever's in fucking style in the 90s. She, they, they went on vacation. They had horses. You know what I'm saying? They, they grew up with money. Drita grew up in the projects. She's Albanian, not Italian. And they just like, you know, Ramona and the rest of the girls are like no new friends. So they don't really like Drita, but, but Karen likes her. Um, and she says that while she was in Arizona, she definitely, they kept in contact. They talk on the phone for hours at a time and shit. And when she came back to New York, they picked right back up. So they're hanging out together. Their boyfriends would hang out together. They would have double dates and shit. And... After a few, staying a few months at Grandma's house, Grandma comes back from Florida, Karen moves back in with Lee, and Drita moves back in with her parents. This is what Karen's talking about when she says, we live together, you know? So Karen gets a job. She doesn't need a job. Lee takes care of everything, but she wants a little independence. She gets a job answering phones for this Russian penny stock broker operation, which is obviously a front. It's obviously illegal. But she gets a job answering phones. She gets Drita a job there, too. They hang out. One day she comes back, she comes to work, she made $800 under the table cash a week just to answer phones. She come, she, one day she comes back to, 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 get, to go to work and the place is locked up, cleaned out, nobody says a word. She decides she needs to get another job. At this point, she and Lee are still fighting all the time. She doesn't have a job to escape to anymore. So she starts hanging out with her old childhood friend, Jen Graziano. Jen Graziano is at business school at NYU. And she's living in Manhattan. And she's over at Jen's apartment every day. She's sometimes staying there for days at a time and just goes home to sleep. She's constantly there. And she's looking for work. She and another friend, she doesn't name the friend. Because she, I guess she doesn't want to tell her. Open a weed delivery service that is women only. The, the friend was dating some dude he, who, did, who had a weed delivery service. He cheated on her. She stole his contacts. They open a weed delivery service, send to all his contacts saying that he's got a new business and it's them. And they steal his stuff. I and mean, he freaks out. I'm surprised he didn't fucking kill them. And they call himself Herbalist and had all these cards and shit printed up. And... Karen did most of the deliveries. She said she wasn't scared. She'd go anywhere. She went by the name Gina. And they kept it from their fathers because mostly mob guys don't want to do drugs. It's like a frowned upon in the, I mean, the reason John Gotti killed Castellano because Gotti was selling drugs. 
and making a lot of fucking money from it, and Castellano didn't want him to. Like, they say that, but sometimes they do. But anyway, it's, it's looked down upon, so they didn't tell their fathers. And they were really successful, and they felt really proud of themselves. They had money. What if... What if the Frank she's talking about is Lana, Renee's sister? That'd be funny. She felt really proud that they had money. She felt like she was getting respect on the street, separate from her father. She felt like she was finally doing something different. So eventually she and Lee break up, okay? It's back and forth, on and off. Um, and she takes up with Dave, who's her baby daddy. He was. She knew him for a while. She met him because she was giving out weed samples, and he was in the club with Run DMC and... Dave is a black guy from Hollis, Queens. He just spent six years in the penitentiary for an armed robbery. He done two years, and I think Spotswood. I think it's called Spots. It's either Spot. I think it's Spotswood. It's like a juvenile detention in New York, New York. And at this point, like she starts dating him. Karen's a little lonely. She's running around with gang members all the time, like prominent Puerto Rican gang members, um, black guys. Not mafiosos, but, like, she's making a lot of money. Ramona's out of town. She's off with her husband. Remember, Ramona gets married to Wale. Jen's in college. Her family isn't really reaching out to her now that she's in New York and they're in Arizona. Even though Sammy and the mom are divorced, they still hang out all the time. And, like, every time she calls home, they're going to dinner with Gerard or going to the movies. You know, they work, they all work together. They all hang out together. And she feels like they don't want her to be a part of the family anymore. Also, her father gets an assistant named Jennifer, who's like a college kid that she, he really takes to that's around her age that like really embodies everything that Karen, he wanted Karen to be, to go to college, be super smart, be respectful, you know, go to bed on time, drink your milk, all that type of shit. And Karen feels really jealous and, like, intimidated by this new surrogate daughter that he's, like, in love with. And she's, like, feeling shitty. Also, at this time, she's got a lot of guilt because she asked Gerard to overnight her a pound of weed. And he gets arrested doing that. She never tells her, well, she does tell her father, but he doesn't tell the dad. So, Gerard, like, Gerard's the baby of the family, guys. Gerard, they... He's, he's, he's only a few years younger than Karen, but his life wasn't touched by the mob as much as Karen was. When her dad got arrested, he was so much younger. He didn't hang out with mob girl, like mob kids, like his friends didn't turn on him. They, he has dyslexia really badly, just like her father did. Her father got the best uh, specialist and stuff. And her, he's a mama's boy. Like she's a daddy's girl and he's a mama's boy. They get along very well when Mom, when the mom left Staten Island, she took Gerard with her. They have a business together. Like, Gerard is very sheltered in the family. And when he got arrested selling weed, her father was, I mean, sending weed in the mail. Her father was livid. I think, like, they thought he was going to kill. He, he, was, he was so upset. Um, he had a kid at this point. He just had a little baby. He owned a restaurant, so the bagel business, and then now they own the restaurant with the mom. But Gerard, true to what his father taught him growing up, you don't snitch, never said that it was for Karen. Never said it was for Karen. Um, but Karen's feeling super guilty anyway. And then, in New York, a rumor starts going around that Sammy the Bull's daughter is, is selling weed. And people start to call her Karen on her weed run. And then starts, things start getting a little dicey with the service. 
Uh, they get robbed at knife point. There are fights happening uh, with, like, competitors. They brought on some muscle, but then, it, like, it just escalated. Things. Like, when it was an all-girl business, um, it just really kept... I don't know. You, you'd think that they were going to... That it would be less safe because it's all women and physically, like, them being, like, people being physically aggressive with them, but it wasn't. It just really brought, like, the drama down. And once they started getting robbed and stuff, they brought in men and muscle, and it just made everything even worse. So they get out of the weed business. Her partner has a college degree and is like, I got options, and goes off and does them. And Karen went back to Arizona. She goes back to live with her mom. At this point, she's gone to skin school. She's called a skin school, but uh, esthetician school or whatever. And she's on there on a whim. And she, like... Her father buys her a whole setup. She gets a job in a spa. She gets closer to Sammy. And they're able to have some hard conversations. Like about things they didn't they never talked about in open when she was a kid. His work and him being in the mafia. What it's like to kill somebody. Um, they don't talk about him killing their uncle. That's a very sore spot spot in the in the in the family. They never talk about that. But she does tell him that Gerard was sending the weed to her and that she was selling weed. And it feels like they're starting to come back together again. He even tells her like how he felt about cooperating. He tells her that sometimes he wished he killed Gotti when he had thought about it, but you know, he doesn't have any regret. People start to realize who Sammy is. I don't know why they wouldn't. He gets, he gets some plastic surgery. He's going to Jimmy Moran, by the way, he gets some plastic surgery on his, he's like a nose job. But other than, and he starts wearing different types of clothes. Other than that, he looks like Sammy, okay? And he's hanging out with Sammy's family, right? Why wouldn't that be Sammy? I don't understand how he, how he was supposedly, according to Karen, in plain sight for so long. I just don't believe that. He got. He has a construction company. It's the same name as the construction company he had in New York. He had a dog named Petey. Now he's got another dog named Petey's boy. He like he hasn't changed anything. I don't understand why people didn't know immediately. If Sammy went into witness, like the parent, her parents had gotten divorced, but it was mostly on paper. I mean, they never really got back together, but they never got with anybody else either. And. But, like, if Sammy the Bull's family was living in Arizona, running a restaurant, and a guy about Sammy the Bull's age that looks like Sammy the Bull, except he's got a nose job, runs a business, it's the same name of the business he had in New York, same dog, and is always around, and Karen's calling him dad, what?! I don't want Kara Karen says it has to be, it had to be an open secret at all times. It had to be. But people start to recognize him, kind of realize where he is. Um, and it brings him a little bit of like notoriety in town. Karen finds out she's pregnant. She worried about telling her father she was pregnant by a black ex con. <laughs> she says, cause not because he's racist, because Italians like Italians to be with Italians. <laughs> also, my dad didn't want me to be with a street guy. Okay, Karen. She says that she just comes in the living room while he's there one day at her mom's house and says, I'm pregnant by a black man. 
Carrie, are you going to tell me you know, he's not racist? You know he's racist. You didn't want to say that you heard all of, that he definitely called, so uses the N-word. He definitely told you to stay away from black men and told you some racist stereotypes about you. You know that. I know that. You know that. You didn't want to write in the book. I get it. That said, walking into the, to, to the, <laughs> walking into the living room and yelling, I'm pregnant by a black man. Karen, <laughs> inappropriate. Sammy goes, is this just any, a random black man or do you know him? <laughs> and she goes, no, I know him. And Sammy gets his keys and leaves. She, the next day she calls him and she's like, can I come talk to you? And he's like, yeah. And she brings her brother and her mother. <laughs> and she, she says, he doesn't care that he, he's black. And she's like, well, are you going to kill him? And he's like, and she's, he's like, honestly, if we were back in New York. I would kill him. Just the way, the disrespectful way you just yelled that out. And, and while I'm obviously not on the side of the racists, I do want to say that, if you're a parent just hanging out and she's Karen's like 25, 26 or seven at this point, she's, she's not a young kid. I do want to say that if you're just hanging out and your adult child walks in the room and yells, I'm pregnant by a black man. I too would be like, what? Why are you saying that like that? What are you? So Dave moves out to Arizona. He gets a job as a plumber. He gets an apartment. He asks Sammy for his blessing to marry Karen, she, and he says yes, and they're engaged. Dave moves into her mom's house with Karen based on Sammy's suggestion. He's like, you guys get your credit together and save some money and you buy a house. So at this point, even it's been more clear that Sammy is Sammy and not Jimmy Moran. But then he writes a book. Then uh, he does a Diane Sawyer interview. And then an article comes out saying, Jimmy Moran is Sammy Gravano. <laughs> And it brings a lot of attention to the restaurant and the Gravano kids. Like, they're meeting all kinds of people now. They're, you know, people who want to be in proximity to infamy, you know? And, but Sammy can't come around as much because the feds are like, these people that are coming around are convicts. You're on parole, okay? You can't be around these people. So... He'll come and get the food from the restaurant and he mostly works out and goes, he's not really around them, according to Karen. Um, he doesn't want to get locked up again. So Gerard starts hanging out with some tough guys who deal drugs. Ecstasy is getting very popular. It's one of the drugs they deal. Gerard, listen, hanging out with Sammy the Bull's only son can bring you in certain, in certain circles can bring you a little bit of like shine, you know? Um, one of the guys that they kind of meet is this guy, is a college guy named Mike who also deals drugs. They think he dabbles in drugs, but the guy's really polite and nice. And when they introduce him to Sammy, cause they've been hanging out with him, you know, a lot of people, when they meet Sammy, they want to get tough and they want to be like, I do this, I do this, I'll kill this motherfucker, I'll do that. And Mike goes the opposite way. He presents himself as a clean cut college kid who wants to be a doctor and that really, and he sucks up to Sammy. He read Sammy's book. And to Sammy, that's what he wanted. He wanted his kids to marry like professionals and have legit businesses and not have to deal with this. That's what he wanted. He's like, yeah, I want Gerard to hang out with a guy that's got his head on straight like that. And they never tell, according to Karen, they never, they don't tell him he's a drug dealer. 
So, you know, at this point, Sammy owns a pool company. Sam, uh, Gerard owns an excavation company. They own a pool cleaning business, a construction business. They sell pools. Gerard's business would do the excavation. Once the pool was in, their pool company would, like, do the services on it. I don't know. Then once, you, then they send you some free food from the restaurant. I mean, they, they had, like, Sammy was really excited because things were, like, coming up. There, they, he felt like things were legit. That he wanted his kids in businesses and to have like nice lives, and this is what he wanted for them. And um, Mike is working at one of the businesses because you know he wants to. He's selling pools for Sammy and stuff. He's selling drugs on the side, and he comes. He becomes. Oh, he's also a, an investor in the restaurant. He puts some money into the restaurant, and he becomes like ingratiated with the family. Mike starts telling people he's hanging out with Sammy the Bull and his son. He's using his name in deals. And he's becoming a bigger deal in clubs and stuff. What they don't know about Mike is he isn't a dabbler. He's been under an investigation for drug dealing and been in a gang since before he ever knew Gerard. And once he starts throwing Sammy's name around, the investigation moves from focusing on him to focusing on how Sammy is running drugs in Arizona. So this is where Karen says things get a turn happens. <sighs> Mike asked Gerard where he can get ecstasy, like where he can buy large quantities of ecstasy to sell. Gerard knows people from New York, all right? Gerard gives him a name, Mike does a deal. Gerard gets involved with Mike because he's also funding some of the deals. Like he's putting money in so that Mike can flip it with the drugs and get it back. Gerard is like in debt. He's living beyond his means. He's, he and his girlfriend broke up. Uh, he just, he just like, he's in a bad spot. And so he has decided he's going to get more involved in this. And he's going to do a couple of big deals. Like he's going to go to New York with money and stuff. He's going to do a couple of big deals, flip that, get the money back, and then he'll stop. Karen sees that Gerard's getting tied up with Mike and the drugs. And they're, they're talking about going to New York with money. And Karen's like, do not do that. That's very like... And Karen's right. There's lines to be crossed, right? Hanging out with a drug dealer is one thing. Uh, giving a drug dealer some money so that they can use it to do something. That's, I mean, that's not great, but that's another thing. But when you show up with the money to do the deal, you're there. Like, there's no way you're, you are in this now. So, but she's worried for Gerard. So she tells her dad who gets involved. Again, Gerard's the baby of the family. They really protect him. He does not have the killer instinct that Karen has. Karen tells a story about the pigeons that would be in their pool and how their dad would go out there and shoot them. And she was trying, he was trying to get Gerard to shoot them and Gerard couldn't and started crying and stuff. This is when they were kids. And Karen was like, if my dad had asked me, I would have picked up that gun and shot all those fucking pigeons. That just tells you like Sammy and Karen are cut from the same cloth and Gerard's just not like that. Sammy runs over to the house, runs over to Gerard's house, kicks in the front door, puts a gun to Gerard's head, screaming, I'll help you kill yourself. Here's the gun. They have a big fight. Sammy decides, like, just, he feels like, he said, everything I've done since I've gone to prison, everything you guys have done feels like, and like, you're trying to fuck me over. Like, you're you're trying to, like, do the opposite of what I ask you to do. This is the wrong thing. Sam, uh, they've realized Gerard's, like, Really fucked up when it comes to money stuff. Sammy decides to give him money so he won't do the deal. Gerard promises to stop, but he and Mike never stop. Now, this is why I'm confused, Karen. Because according to Karen, 
he gave Gerard money to not do the deal. Like, you don't have to go do this deal. I'll pay these debts for you. But later, she says something like he funded Mike and Gerard, Gerard and Mike's ecstasy. I don't know. It, it gets confusing. And I'm like, it feels like she wants to write that Sammy didn't do anything wrong. And she even says that she feels responsible for Sammy ending up in prison again because she should have never told him about Gerard. I don't fucking know. But they never really stopped. So, at one point, Gerard and Mike beat up a rival drug dealer who's connected to an Israeli crime ring in New York. And they're moving large quantities of ecstasy. This sets up a chain reaction where Mike has to go to Sammy and tell him that the Israelis are going to kill Sammy and Gerard. So, Sammy tells Mike to get a meeting with the guy. They go and talk. Basically, Sammy throws his weight around. And I guess Sammy gets more involved in this business. I'm not sure. The way Karen says it is like, that's it. And then she cuts to her having a baby. I'm like, okay, well, what happened when Sammy goes to meet the Israelis? So Karen has her baby, Karina, who's named after her grandmother. She's colicky. She cries a lot. Karen stops working at the spa, starts working for her dad at the pool because she had better hours. At this point, the whole family's under surveillance. The Phoenix police kept it a secret and didn't tell the FBI because they were afraid the FBI would tell Sammy and pull him, which was a good fear because over the years, Sammy, the feds would go to Sammy and be like, your daughter's dating a street guy. Somebody's going to kill your son. Like shit like that. So yeah, they had all their phones taps and bugs in Sammy's businesses. And Mike is really using Sammy's name out here in these streets. Although according to Karen, all he's done is lend money once and he thinks the ecstasy shit is over. Mike ends up shorting someone 10000 in a deal. And on a wiretap, they hear him saying, the, the cops hear him say, Sammy was his godfather and he's the one who counted the money. So take it up with Sammy. Like he's really like using Sammy's name. According to Karen, Sammy has never counted any money for a deal. He was not involved in it. Also, at the same time, what they don't know, Peter Gotti has a hit out on Sammy. And the... F- and the feds tell Sammy this. They, they learn this from their wiretaps. They tell Sammy this. But Sammy thinks it's the hit from the Israelis. And he's already taken care of it. Apparently, Uncle Mike was part of the hit team that was coming to kill them. This Uncle Mike that Sammy got out of that got, got out of all his debt years ago and brought him into the crime family and brought him into the mafia. This Uncle Mike that told Sammy to kill himself and told and gave Karen uh arsenic to give to to sammy and sammy did t- and karen did tell sammy uncle mike says you should just go ahead and kill yourself like sammy didn't do it but obviously like that uncle mike he's part of the hit team okay wow but sammy thinks he's already handled it so then they all get arrested for being a drug cartel they bust into the mom and karen's house like they're taking down a fucking cartel they threaten they threaten to shoot karen with her baby in her arms Gerard doesn't get arrested. He's coming to the house. He sees cops everywhere. Leaves, goes to Sammy's house. They're doing the same bus at Sammy's house. They're probably Gerard's house too. He just isn't there. He later ends up turning himself in. Uh, in the end, Sammy takes the deal for the take the whole thing. Gerard gets a little jail time. Dave gets jail time. I believe in this thing. She doesn't mention Dave in it, but she, jail, Dave gets jail time. Karen gets probation. Karen... Did not want to take the deal. She asked the lawyer what she would get without it. And he's like, probably probation. She's like, well, then let me go to fucking trial. I don't want my dad to take 
all the stuff. But Sammy's like, no, I failed you guys. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the rap for this. You guys wouldn't even be in this if I had done this and that. Blah blah. blah. According to Karen, they didn't do anything. But here's the thing that I know is that in drug, once once we get to Rico, once we get to organization crime, and that include that's not just mafias, that's drug stuff too. The once we get there, you don't have to have laid your hand on the drugs. You driving someone to a drug meetup can be can they, they can put you as a part of it. You letting you putting a cell phone in your name can bring you as a part of it. And so I mean, obviously this is Karen's side of the story. I would love to to read or to hear an audiobook with an impartial source that explains what happened and how what evidence they had against them. Because the like basically Mike is enmeshed in all their lives. According to Karen, he's selling lots of drugs. He's invested in this. He's invested in that in their lot in their businesses and stuff. He works over here. He gives money to this, and like when this is all over and done, Karen's mom has to sell her house, her businesses, and give the proceeds to 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 the government. Um, they don't have any money to take care of Karina. All the men are in jail. Uh, this is when she ends up like going back to working in a spa and after working there for a long time, she buys it. This is after all this is going. This So when we see her pick up a mob wives and she's like, I own the spa. So, and so yeah, that's, that's what she's talking about. But everyone's accounts are frozen. There's no money. While they're waiting trial, Karen has uh, Gerard's son, Nicholas, and a parent, and he's young, He's because Karina's a baby. Also, is this what she was talking about when she said that that Karina's watched her father be arrested in front of, like, a gun to his head? And I was like, Karina was a baby. I know this isn't what you're talking about. Dave had to get arrested again later. I don't know. But um, she has Karina, who's a baby, Gerard, who's like a toddler, and a dog that knows how to open the screen door to get outside to play in the pool. And the dog opened the screen door. And while she was on the phone, Gerard went outside and fell into the pool and was not Gerard, uh, Nicholas and f- was underwater for like minutes. Apparently like they told her if she hadn't gotten to him, she hadn't realized he'd be dead. Um, like she, like she got him just in time. She, the, her 911 call to the news was on, was on the news. Her 911 call to, to, to get in the ambulance. There was on the news that night. Like, while all this is going on, their waiting trial, and her dad's locked up, her brother's locked up, their their accounts are frozen, they don't know what the fuck they're about to do, and then the baby falls in the fucking pool. Jeez. So, that's pretty much the end of the book. They make an example out of Sammy. I think he gets, like, 20 years or so, um, and that's how he ends up in that Colorado prison. Um... Karen says that they found some technical issues with the the case and that's why they're trying to go back. During Mob Wives, you see her trying to go back to get him out of prison. He's been out since September 2017. I don't know, like, I guess I would, I should kind of look up where he's at and what he's been doing. Um, As the book is towards the end, she talks about reconnecting with Jennifer and how Jennifer is looking to do, like, like some show ideas based on their crazy growing up. And this is how Mobwise comes. She talks about 
hooking back up with Jarita and how Jarita had since married Lee at that point and um how Jarita tries to downplay their friendship and downplay Lee like I cannot Jarita there's only a few sentences about Jarita in the book but I can't believe Jarita thought she was not gonna be in this book I can't believe Lee thought he was not gonna be in this fucking book um and that's pretty much it that's the end of the book I so I enjoyed the book I'm I get I've like pulled out like things I thought were important timelines and stuff but I could have gotten things wrong I would suggest you listen to it I would also like it's interesting in its own right especially a lot of the stuff she talks about in her earlier life with Castle with Paul Castellano Gotti all this stuff like that's I'm like oh wow that's I didn't know that the bombshell of Jennifer Graziano being in that car was like really shocking to me um and again, the end stuff where with with her being a part of the ecstasy. So according to Karen, Karen did sell drugs. She sold weed in New York. She didn't sell ecstasy in in Arizona. Her brother did. Her father never did. Her mother was never a part of it. Uh, I'd like to read some unbiased content about what evidence they had against them. I'm I'm sure it's more than what Karen th- was giving us, but probably not what I thought it was originally I thought I don't know Sammy got out of jail and was like what about this ecstasy I've been hearing about let's do something with that I don't fucking they're putting on the food in the restaurant I don't fucking know but it's interesting the way it's been told I was like that's fucked up um he got 20 fucking years oh he did them too I guess um yeah, that's it, guys. Next week, we're going to go back to our MobWise episode. I am going to do a the, uh, the Way Down episode. That's a documentary on HBO. I have been calling it On The Way Down. That's just because I really respect Ryan Cabrera, and that's why I call it that. But I am going to do an episode on that. It's probably going to be, like, an, a bonus episode. Let my voice, like, get back to normal. Let me find out if I have fucking COVID. Um, and if I have COVID, I don't have nowhere to go, so I'll definitely do it. But, um... Yeah, look, be on the lookout for that. And I'll see you guys next week. Later. <laughs>